1: I'm going to utter good.
2: Good morning everyone, you are tuned to 855am 3CR or you're listening on 3cr.org.au, you're listening to Out of the Blue. Uh, I'm Donna and Matt is on the panel this morning. Good morning Donna. And we've also got studio dog Bonnie in on my lap <laughs> as well. Um, today we are going to interview our co-presenter, Fam Sharco, on a report that she's just released from the Port Phillip Eco Centre called Microplastics in the Maribyrnong and Yarra Rivers, Melbourne, Australia. We'll be back right after this with Farm on the line, who's calling in from summers.
1: sintonizando 3CR 855
0: de radio 3CR AM tren lan song AM
1: 855.
2: Kính mời quý đón nghe. 3CR broadcasts over 130 programs in 25 languages, supporting communities and viewpoints that you just don't hear about anywhere else. Subscribe to your award-winning multilingual community radio station, 3CR, and help keep these voices on the airwaves. Call the station on 94198377. The number is again, 94198377. Welcome back to Out of the Blue. You're tuned to 855am 3CR Community Radio or you're listening on 3cr.org.au. Hi there, farm. You have joined us online. Hey, Donna. How are you going? Hi, good. Matt. Hi, Bonnie. Good morning. We're all good, thank you. you picked a cracking day to be not in the studio but dialling in from Summers. It is
0: incredible. Um, I'm just sitting here in the sunshine outside in North Somers, Somers Camp and uh, with a beautiful view over Westernport Bay.
2: Amazing. And you're at Parks Victoria's Sharing the Love Forum, is that right? Yeah, it's
0: right, that's right. Um, so the Sharing the Love Forum is a biennial event that Parks Victoria organises just to... To get all the, uh, the the volunteer groups in the same room, the volunteer groups that um, volunteer for the marine environment mostly. And so there's people from all over Victoria here, representatives from friends groups and uh, all kinds of real passionate marine enthusiasts who do all kinds of fantastic volunteer work for the environment from, you know, planting coastal plants to um, doing citizen science to um, doing pest control with Parks Victoria, you know, Pest star Collection and things like that. So it's really great to um, have a networking event where everybody can actually meet each other and talk to each other and see what the other groups are up to. Yeah, um, it sounds they, amazing. Um, doing this. Yeah, uh, this is, I think this is the third year they're doing it.
2: Yeah, I remember one down uh, at Wilson's Prom a couple of years ago.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was four years ago. I was uh, at that one as well. That was, I think that was, no, this is the fourth one. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. the Wilson's Prom was the second one. So, yeah, always a lot of fun to be here.
2: Cool. And I'm hoping you're going to make a lot of brand new, amazing connections and bring some stories back for a few more of our shows in the coming months.
0: Yeah, there's so much happening in the in the marine environment uh, volunteering space. It's really great. So I'm, I'm pretty inspired by all of this hard work that's being done for the environment here.
2: Amazing. And I believe you're up there um, this weekend to share um, some research, which we've got you on the line to have a chat about. So the... Report that you or the Port Phillip Eco Centre have just released microplastics in the Maribonong and Yarra rivers um, is the first time a microplastic study has been undertaken for these two rivers. Is that right?
0: Yeah, that's correct. So it's actually the first the first project um, in Australia of this kind that's being undertaken. Um, there has been, you know, microplastics research before, but it's usually been in the marine environment, so in the, in, you know, in the ocean or in the, in Port Phillip Bay as well. But this is the first time that anything has really been done in rivers in Australia.
2: Cool, and it's part of a, a broader or a longer term project program, kind of funded by uh, Turn Off the Tap and Clean Bay Blueprint projects from a, a couple oh, of grants yeah. that you got. Is that right?
0: Yeah, that's right. So, so it's it's. This project is funded by the Port Phillip Bay Fund mm-hmm. by the state government, uh, which is a part of the uh, new Port Phillip Bay Environmental Management Plan. So, okay. so they made some money available for uh, for research like this. Um, and the data that we have collected actually draws on... The data that we are collecting under this project called Clean Bay Blueprint, uh, but it also pulls in the data that we have collected over two and a half years before this project started, uh, which was a little hotspots program, which was also funded by the state government, but under a different under a different program, basically.
2: Okay. Cool. Yeah.
0: So. The, we started basically collecting the data in the rivers in January 2015, and um, and we went all the way up to October 2017 to have a look at what was what was happening in the rivers, and that's that's sort of what the report is
2: about. Mm-hmm. Great, and so can you tell us a bit about the methodology that you've used for the to collect all your samples and and all the microplastics and other bits and pieces that you found in the in the two rivers.
0: Yeah, um, so we have partnered up with the Yarra Riverkeeper. Um, They have a fantastic little boat that they use a lot. They take it out on the Yarra to show people around, but also um, to do research like this. So we've teamed up with them, and we are using uh, a, a trawl net called a manta net. And it's called a manta net because it looks kind of like a manta ray. So you know how manta rays have these really, really big mouths? that they can use. They open it up and they scoop up all of the plankton that's, that's in front of them, basically. Uh, so the net is very similarly shaped. It has this big, wide mouth and we trawl it behind the boat. And so it basically swallows up all the water that, um, that it gets from the first 20 centimeters of the water column. So it kind of floats on the top of the water. And um, it just gets all this volume of water uh, through its mouth and there's a, a, a plankton net that is attached to it with a little sock on the back and all of the microplastics and plastic rubbish and organic materials that are floating in those first 20 centimetres of the water column will flow into the net and get gathered into the sock at the end. So we just screw off that sock in the back and then we have our sample.
2: Great. And that's a fairly industry standard approach to taking water samples to sample for microplastics and other pollutants. Is that right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's correct. So uh, this method for for manta net trawling for microplastics is used worldwide. It's a uh, kind of international standard. So the Five Gyres Institute, for example, uh, who are the guys who've been doing uh, this kind of work in the Great Pacific Garbage Patch to quantify microplastics, they're using those same methods. And uh, the trawls that we do are thirty minutes each. So we'll uh, in the Merredin we start just around the corner from where it comes into the Yarra, and we trawl. We always trawl, uh for half an hour upstream. So usually we get from about Cannon Jetty to Footscray Bridge, depending a little bit, or if the, you know on if, if the tide is incoming or outgoing. And in the Yarra, we start underneath Balter Bridge and then we go up upstream as well.
1: Um, from what do you define as a microplastic in this study?
0: So in this study, we still do the uh, the international standard. So it means that a uh, microplastic is a piece of plastic that is smaller than five millimeters in diameter. So that's kind of uh, the size of your uh, little pinky finger's nail.
1: Okay. That's and did, did you find that you might look at the river and think it looked fairly clean, but you were still able to collect quite a lot of the microplastic?
0: Yeah, actually we find we find haste of it. So I'll <laughs> I'll slap you in the face with some stats here. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> we have we have calculated that uh, annually from both rivers together, uh, there are 828 million pieces of plastic that go into Port Phillip Bay. And those 828 million pieces of plastic annually are obviously an underestimation of what is really flowing into the bay, right? Because I just told you, we're we're just trawling those first 20 centimeters of the water column. So we're not actually taking into account uh, the rest of the water column or what is happening down in the sediments as well. Um, but even with the first 20 centimeters, uh, sampled and calculated, is nearly a billion pieces of plastic that flow into Port Phillip Bay from those both of those rivers every year, and 74% of those plastic items are quantified as microplastics. So that's 612 million microplastic pieces, smaller than five millimetre in diameter, going into the bay every year from both of those rivers, which are quite staggering numbers <laughs> especially when you realize that you know that's most
2: probably an underestimation yeah astounding and what is the kind of makeup of those um of the amount of microplastic that you found in in your samples are there things so that we different. can manage or things that um, are breaking up into smaller pieces or are they nurdles polystyrene what can you tell yeah, us about so the makeup <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> all of that basically, <laughs> in uh, in in different
0: quantities. So it, so there's there's a little bit of difference between the two rivers, but when we look at both rivers together, we can we can say that um, the hard plastic remnants so those are those are uh, small plastics that are you know from from broken up other items like plastic bottles and bottle caps and things like that like hard plastic items when they break up into microplastics uh, you get what we call hard plastic remnants and those make up the bulk of what we find in terms of uh, the plastics altogether that we find in the samples and also the, the component of the microplastics that we find and um, you know when i say uh, you know it makes it makes up the bulk um I'm just going to try and see what the numbers are here because there's so much going on here. I don't all know everything off the top of my head.
2: Um, <laughs> there's some big numbers so there to remember. <laughs>
0: yeah, <Yep. laughs> that's right. It's 65% of the total sample uh, for the Yarra and 62% of all of the items captured in the Maribyrnong are those hard plastic remnants. So that is well over half of whatever we find in the sample. Mm-hmm. And then a good second for for um, uh, the Yarra River um, is to um, do polystyrene.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, I mean, if you ever do cleanups anywhere, you will always find polystyrene mm. and the rivers are no different, yeah. But for the Merebunong, funnily enough, number two is, um, is soft plastics. So remnants that come from you know like cellophane plastic bags i was
1: going to ask from um because we've got the plastic bag ban being introduced in victoria at supermarkets Mm -hmm. um how significant a contribution they made sorry how significant a contribution (laughs) you think the plastic bag waste makes to the um the plastic you found in the rivers
0: well, quite a bit, um, quite a bit, because the, you know, especially in the Maribonong, the, the the most problematic items can, when you compare it to the era, in the Maribonong, plastic bags and you know those soft bits of plastic bags that have broken up, are um, you know definitely one of the one of the worst things that we find in there, of the most that we find the most. That together with straws, actually as well, yeah, right. there's an astounding amount of straws in the Maribonong, mm. and. Uh, um, and for the Yara, it's, uh, it's noodles as well, so noodles and polystyrene that are the, the bigger drivers after the hard plastic remnants. So there is a little bit of difference uh, between those rivers, and that's quite interesting um, to try to find out why why there is that difference and what is driving that. And, and you know, why do we find more plastic bags in the Maribyrnong? Mm. Compared to the era. So that's, that's a bit of a mystery. And uh, yeah, we do hope, Matt, that um, the plastic bag ban will have a positive effect. So hopefully over the next two years, we will see that starting to take effect and uh, hopefully find
2: less of those soft plastics um, in the in the upcoming samples. With the hard plastic sample, um, was there any analysis done on the type of plastic it was to help try and identify the source of it? Or was it fairly obvious where and what it used to be before it? broke up into these micro, microplastic fragments?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, it is actually pretty much impossible to find out where those hard plastics come from or what sort of products they used to be because they're smaller. You know, most of them are smaller than, than five millimetres, so mm. most of them are microplastics. But even the larger pieces, it's sometimes really hard to tell you know, sometimes you can tell it's like a, one of those rings that come off a bottle top, for example. Or when it has a, a an obvious Coca-Cola color, you can kind of yeah. you can kind of guess uh, that it used to be a, a, a bottle top. But it's really, really hard to tell. And we uh, haven't gone to the stage where we can actually see what kind of type of plastic it is. Mm. Um, but that is on the cards for the next two years because RMIT has actually been funded um, by the government to start a plastics lab. To, uh, to support community organizations, such as the Eco Center, who deal with litter and who want to know more about the litter that they find so they can stop it at the source. Uh, and they're going to get the, the type of um, machinery that we need to find out what type of plastics we are dealing with. And hopefully, once we get their help um, in, in doing this kind of analysis, we can start looking in detail at uh, where these plastics come and who might be responsible for manufacturing them Um, and maybe even who might be responsible for littering them.
2: Yeah, good. Especially
0: in the case of nurdles. Yes. um, Because particular factories who use nurdles uh, might use particular types of plastic because those are the products that they manufacture. So we might be able to trace back You know the the nurdle spills to the particular factories that use that particular type of plastic.
2: Amazing bit of CSI investigation there. Oh, totally Um,
0: (laughs) like environmental detective work here. Yeah, totally.
2: Um, Were there any real surprises or expectations that either were met or not met doing this study? Like, was did anything jump out at you, and you were just like, "Wow, I really didn't expect that," or um, vice versa?
0: Um, well, what I found really interesting is we actually had a look at uh, the seasons, the seasonal variation of when we find these items in the in the two rivers. And um, what I found really interesting is that the, the two rivers actually display kind of a, a different pattern in what seasons they have the most uh, litter items entering. So the Maribyrnong, for example... Um, in the Maribonong, it seems to be mostly uh, the spring and the summertime mm-hmm. that has a you know sort of peak peak plastic loading, um, and for the Yarra, it's mostly autumn and winter that uh, that that drive that that plastic, and we don't really know at the moment what drives that.
1: Hmm, Do you think so there's much difference, the- <coughs> much difference in the <laughs> urban planning in terms of what's closer to the rivers in the um the two areas? You know, are there restaurants closer in the Maribonong or residential, for example, compared to the Yarra?
0: Yeah, I think there is. I think there is a combination of factors. So if we want to know what drives this, we need to look at the the complete picture. So, like what you're saying, you know, land use that along the rivers that that would be a really big driver so for example in the maribyrnong uh, we find most of the litter in the in the uh the, in the spring and in the, but mostly in the summer really so the maribyrnong has a really big peak of litter in the summer and we want to find out if that has anything to do with for example uh that maribyrnong has more parks and recreational areas and sporting grounds that are Uh, you know, adjacent to the river where people might make more use of it by picnicking and things like that when it's summertime. Uh, We're also thinking things like uh, spring racing carnivals and things like that because there's the the Flemington racetrack um, that is there. Um, And so... You know plastic bags and 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 uh, and straws you know might have something to do with that, but we also need to look at things like uh, councils what what do they do for street sweeping, for example. Some councils spend a lot of their uh, their rates on street sweeping, so that basically prevents litter from getting into the stormwater drains and into the rivers in the first place. So it would be very interesting to see what their street sweeping schedules are,
2: mm. for
0: example. Um, So for the Yara, because there's more litter entering the Yara in autumn and winter, it may have something to do with large sporting uh, things like football, for example, because it's really football season. So people are out and about and, you know, they're in the stadiums and and things like that. Um, And then again, it might be that uh, the Yara has more building going on, so more construction uh, on the banks uh, further upstream, because we do find a lot more polystyrene. Yarra, and um, it could come from several different places, uh, but the construction sites are, are definitely a driver of that. Yeah.
1: Um, you do see rubbish traps along the Yarra quite obviously. I'm not sure about the Maribyrnong, though. Do you know if there's much difference between the two? No,
0: we don't know that yet. Uh, I am aware. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot more rubbish traps. Those big uh, floating litter traps that are in the Yarra. I think Park, Park Victoria has about 19 of them in there. Um, and, uh, but the interesting thing about that is that it doesn't actually stop the microplastics. So if you look at one of those floating litter traps, you can see there's lots of plastic bottles and larger items that are floating there and that are being captured. But when those traps are emptied, what happens is they, they come up with a barge and then they um, they empty the trap and they put all of that in a big cage. But that cage actually has holes in it. So what happens is that with the outgoing water, the microplastics easily get through those holes in that cage and just get lost back into the river. So there is, you know, a fantastic way of capturing those large items that eventually will become microplastics it doesn't actually do much to capture the microplastics, if you know what I
2: mean. Yeah. And it's such a pervasive problem because of things like that. The mechanisms we've got in place at the moment aren't capturing. um, I mean, there's opportunities to collect litter, but these opportunities aren't then being met with an opportunity to collect microplastics that falls out with that. Um, with emptying of things like gross pollutant traps or litter traps on water, or um, even in litter cleanups, sometimes the effort is generally focused on larger plastic items, which is fantastic because it means that's a prevention mechanism for preventing microplastics from occurring in the fir- or being created in the first place. But for the ones that are already in our waterways, um, yeah, there's there isn't really any management um, techniques out there for them at present.
0: Yeah, exactly, and that's that's why we're doing this type of research. That's why we are concentrating on the microplastics in the in the and Yarra rivers because we don't actually before this research we didn't actually know what the loadings of those microplastics were. You know, I mean, you can make a big fuss, you know, in, uh, with the government, and say like, oh, we need to do something about microplastics, but the first question you're going to get back is, well, how bad is the problem?
2: Mm. And what and that's is the why problem? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What is the problem,
0: and 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 how bad is it really? Do we really need to act on it? Um, and I think we have proven now with you know nearly a billion of those mm-hmm. things flowing into the bay every year. A billion uh, reasons we are now to act. We're ready for that next step.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: So you know we now know what the problem is and what it looks like, and now we are we are ready for that next step and trying to find out where these things come from and uh, how to stop them at the source.
2: And if I'm, you mentioned earlier in our interview uh, that. Um, this kind of study hasn't been done in Victoria or, in fact, Australia before. What about around the world? Is there anywhere else in the world a similar study has taken place that we can compare our results to um, and draw any comparisons or, um, you know, how do we kind of track, I guess, compared to other places like, like Melbourne um, in, in regards to microplastic loading to our, in our waterways?
0: Yeah, so there's, um, you may be aware that um, Neil Blake, our Port Phillip Baykeeper, and the Yarra Riverkeeper uh, Association are members of the International Waterkeepers Alliance, which is uh, obviously an alliance of international waterkeepers. Um, <laughs> And we have been in contact with the New York, New Jersey Riverkeeper who looks after the Hudson River mm-hmm. um, in New York and some of the other waterways, but specifically the Hudson. And they have been doing microplastics research in a similar way to us. So they have also been trawling with a net behind the boat up and down the river. And I'm um, not totally across the exact numbers, yeah. uh, but they do show similar results to us. Okay. So they do show, you know, hard plastic and soft plastics and nurdles in particular as well that are still into their waterways. We have been uh, in contact with them and comparing notes and comparing, um, you know, methods of extrapolation and things like that in our analysis. Um,
2: yeah, okay. So that's
0: been, that's been quite enlightening. So we, we're certainly not the only ones who are doing this type of research worldwide because, you know, every major city has to deal with this
2: yeah and I mean dealing with it together is going to be more efficient um, than dealing with it alone in isolation absolutely so fun
1: um, we don't don't have a lot of time left <coughs> but I'd be really curious to see um, or to talk about what happens to all these um, plastics and microplastics once they enter the environment and what kind of effects they have on us and and the environment as a whole um, yeah so was that was problem- that much of your study looking at
0: that Yeah, so we don't actually look specifically at the effects, but we don't really need to because this is 2018. And, um, you know, scientists have been researching the problems of ocean plastic pollution for over a decade now, you know, two decades now. And there is so much literature out there. So just to put it um, in a nutshell for you, what happens when plastic enters the ocean, especially when it's a microplastic, there are several things that are really bad about that. So the first thing is that wildlife can potentially ingest it, right? So that can cause lacerations to their guts because some of those plastic pieces are really sharp. It can cause entanglements, obviously, and, and and drown seabirds and seals and and uh, compromise other marine animals that are uh, that need to breathe air or need to hunt or any you know in any other way need to um, uh, move around to uh, to survive, which is pretty much all animals, um, and. Um, the problem with these microplastics is that plastic is an, is an oil-based product, right? So when it floats around in the water column, say in Port Phillip Bay, for example, what it does it tends to absorb or bind molecules of other oil-soluble uh, materials that are already floating in the water. So then you should think about things like heavy metals, um, things about things about like. Pesticides and artificial fertilisers that wash off from the mainland and come in through the rivers, um, and also think about other toxins that you know in, in previous years have been used in plastics, such as like such as PCBs that are really really uh, bad chemicals really to have in your body. So when a fish ingests those. Um, those things with their microplastic because those molecules are attached to that microplastic, that fish itself is mostly made out of fatty tissue as well. So what happens in the stomach of that fish, even if that fish manages to pass that piece of plastic out, those toxins will have then been absorbed into that fish's tissue. Now obviously that provides a way for these chemicals to get into the food chain because once one fish has eaten those and has those toxins in his body a bigger fish comes along and eats that smaller fish and then takes on those toxins and so it, it biomagnifies and bioaccumulates in the food chain and uh, I don't have to mention who eats the
2: biggest fish right mm-hmm. and there's uh yeah, i was sorry. talking to heidi from Tangaroa blue just a couple of weeks ago and she attended the um international marine debris conference um a few months ago and she was saying that a lot of the research now and a lot of the presentations were really focused on um the at what point is a microplastic so small, so at a nanoscale, then that it can pass from the gut into the bloodstream and impact human health that way. And that's kind of what the next kind of big focus on microplastic research Absolutely. is is that yep. passing, so yes, things are eating it and we're eating them, but at what point is the plastic? so small that it's not a piece of plastic anymore but it's like a nanoparticle and can that pass mm-hmm. into the human bloodstream, into animal bloodstreams, etc.? which is a fascinating yeah. well, area to be looking cool. into. Well, I
1: think we'll have to pick that yeah. up on our next show. Sorry, Fon, we're out of time. <laughs> we're getting up time. Up. Thanks for joining us today and <laughs> happy Plastic Free right? July.
0: Yeah, happy plastic future.
1: Thanks for uh, having me chat. Great, thanks Thanks, Swan. That's all we have time for today on Out of the Blue. Stick around for Out of the Pan with Sally coming up next.
0: I had nine lives but I lost all of them And I've been searching in the night And I've been searching in the rain I tried to find them but they disappeared They walked away, they dressed in black They left my side and all I say is that I wasted time when I look for them For now I know that things gone past They're never to be found again No, never, never again I had nine lives but lost all of them Hmm.